And now, and now, the best of Pete Price. The best of Pete Price on Radio City 96.7. So the subject tonight is, are we taking the NHS for granted? I've got a blank piece of paper. I've got Dr. Mike Scott with me, who I'm delighted at. Uh, a man that certainly has got an opinion without any shadow of a doubt. And a man that does an awful lot for the NHS in his department. Tell me a, a, your exact title. Well, thank you, Pete. Uh, I'm a consultant general surgeon out at Whiston and St. Helens Hospital. You're, you, you're one of life's characters, aren't you? You're one of those... You, you, you're like an old-fashioned doctor. My doctor was like you, one of life's characters. Yeah, I have been described that way. I, I like to feel that... I say to a lot of people, doctors are often talked about as being good doctors or bad doctors, but my belief is that... What people actually mean when they say people are good doctors is that they're good communicators. And I believe I'm probably not a bad communicator. Now, interesting you say about good doctors and bad doctors. My idea of a good doctor is having to ring the surgery to see how far behind he is because he's spending so much time extra that he shouldn't be because you are or they're tied to targets. There is no doubt that the National Health Service is very tied to targets. I'm not entirely sure that's a bad thing, uh, to be honest with you, because ultimately it has probably improved quite a lot of the care for different groups of patients, particularly cancer patients or cancer sufferers. Um, but all the way across the, the whole spectrum, I think targets have helped. For example, Peter, when I was first appointed a consultant back in the early 90s, uh, after I'd been a consultant for a short period of time, I had over a thousand people on my waiting list. It made me almost ill worrying about who I should pick for an operation that next week. Whereas with the way that the targets have been brought in, it has changed the size of waiting lists. It has shortened waiting times. It's come at a cost. It's come at a cost of goodwill uh, amongst the staff. But if you're a patient, it has come with a big benefit. My question tonight is, and there'll be many people out there that will have a moan about the NHS. There'll be a lot of people say there's bad doctors, bad this, bad that. But we're talking about one of the big, biggest organisations in the world. So I'll ask you a very straightforward question. Do we actually, in your opinion, take the NHS for granted? Oh, Peter, I think some people definitely do. Because if you think about it, since it was set up in the late 40s, the fact is, most people alive today, they're just used to it being there. It's just always been there. And so because it's something that is part of your life and has probably been a part of your, your, the life of most of your listeners all their lives, then I think to some degree, yes, people do take it for granted. But don't get me wrong, it is a wonderful institution. What annoys me, Mike, though, is when people say, I deserve it because I paid into it all my life. Now, what they've paid in doesn't cover an eighth of some of the costs. That's what annoys me. They take for granted the price of drugs. It doesn't matter how much the drug companies are charging. That's irrelevant to what we're saying now. They forget that those drugs... I mean, I'm now a pensioner, so I now get a free prescription. And I know what I was paying for my tablets before. That's absolutely right, Peter. And... and the fact is that there are probably very, very few treatments on the National Health Service that people have actually paid for in entirety. 
even from the most minor procedures, the most minor surgeries, even those end up costing quite a lot of money. So, so yes, we put money in to support the system and our taxes pay for the system. But the reality is, as individuals, we probably will never cover the cost of our treatments. And if you really want to find out what costs of treatments are, if you go to a private hospital, which I, I am in a private uh, system, and you see the breakdown of the bill, you actually it gives you an idea of the sort of costs involved. That's true. And it's not just private hospitals, Pete. Now the NHS is run on finance and it's it's much tighter system and so it, there are websites where you can go and look exactly how much it costs on the nhs now admittedly it's not quite as expensive because the surgeons and the doctors are not paid quite as much for the treatments but if you look beyond that and look at the materials we use, the costs are similar. The disposable costs, the costs involved in operations. In my case, I can talk about that sort of thing. But the costs, yes, are phenomenal. Foreigners, I'm sick to death of them coming to this country. That's what we get on this programme. And it makes me cross. If we were to get rid of foreigners out of hospitals, what would it be like in this country? Well... It, I never think of it that way anymore. I, I was just having this conversation earlier today. I work in a multicultural hospital. I, I couldn't even tell you what colour some of my colleagues are because I've never even thought of it that way. But with, it's just all of us. We're just all together as a big group. But the fact is, if we suddenly said, hey, hang on, it can only be white British people who work here, the place would fall down. There'd be no nurses, there'd be not enough doctors, the uh, ancillary staff would be shredded. The answer is we couldn't run the NHS with, if you want to call them foreigners, foreign colleagues or colleagues who've come from abroad. They're a part of the system, Pete. Now, we've got major problems in this country over costs. We know that. We know the NHS has got problems and something has to be done with the weight of, of, of the money that's being spent on it. Whatever the government do, they can't do right from wrong. Any solutions? Well, the government and the PCTs, they're the, they're the political fund holders um, and the general practitioners now in the future are going to have to control spending. And, and they are obviously going to have to bring in some form of restriction because it's not a bottomless pit. Now, I have to tell you, Pete, that I am not a politician. I, in fact, probably quite the opposite. As you said earlier, I do tend to speak my mind sometimes. But the fact is that there have to be cut, bits cut from off, from round the edges of the NHS. For example, there are certain procedures, uh, surgical procedures, that are no longer going to be available on the National Health Service to everybody. And I'm talking about varicose vein surgery, some hernia surgery, certainly cosmetic surgery, some, if you like, life-enhancing surgery, so snoring surgery, vasectomy reversals. Now, those are going to be treatments that no longer, except in very, very exceptional circumstances, are going to be available on the NHS. Similarly so, at the other end of the scale, some of the very new, very expensive chemotherapy agents are so expensive that there is going to be have, have to be much greater control. And you always hear in the news about um, this agency, NICE, the National Institute for Clinical Excellence. They have to make some very difficult decisions about who gets funding and what drugs can be used. But I think we have to get used to that. 
Because the NHS, as I just said, is not a bottomless money pit. Now, what about these hospital tourists we keep hearing about? Is that happening or not? I'm sure it does happen. I think it prop. I, we don't see a lot of it at Whiston and St Helens Hospital, but I think in hospitals that are close to airports and in 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 London, for example, I think it is a problem in that people coming from countries where uh, treatment is not so available or certain specific treatments are not available. They're bound to travel because life is life, Pete, and you only get one. And if you're told in a country where you live that there is no treatment for you, but you can get on an aeroplane and get treated, you can't blame the people. I agree with you that it it feels wrong that we, as British taxpayers or whatever, are having to share our NHS worldwide, but there is no doubt it happens. I'm not condoning it because it's difficult to condone it. Do you think it could be stopped? Do you think the government are looking at it? I, I think it could be controlled, um, but it would come at a human cost. Now, you've been very vocally, fondly of the Royal Hospital. Um, the talk now about it being rebuilt, the, the, the person that uh, set up a one-man campaign to stop it being built because of the private money. What are your thoughts on that? I think one of the big things that I am very proud of, of being a doctor, a surgeon on Merseyside, is the standard of medicine that we have on Merseyside. And as you know, I do a show on City Talk talking about medicine. And one of the big issues I make is, is what fantastic standards of medicine we have on Merseyside. Now, you need a flagship hospital. And when I was a young lad training, I trained in the old Royal Infirmary down there on Pembroke Place. And the big building that we were just dreaming of moving into was the Royal Liverpool Hospital. OK, at the time it was revolutionary, but now it's an old hospital, um, a big old hospital. And the city deserves, in my mind, a bigger or a newer flagship hospital. We've got all our other hospitals. We don't have an old hospital. That's the oldest hospital on Merseyside, if you think about it. We've got the new ones out at Whiston and St Helens. We've got the massive rebuilds out at Aintree. Arrow Park's not that old. I actually think it's a good thing that a city like ours gets top facilities. And I, again, sadly, that will come at a cost. But the Royal Liverpool Hospital has probably served its purpose now. And probably it's a good thing that we have a new flagship hospital. Do you get angry as a doctor when you see people, patients, smoking outside, whether it be front, back or wherever they are? Um, uh, angry is the wrong word, Pete, because people, as I said earlier, get one life and it's their choice what they do with their life. And all that we can do as doctors and the medical profession is advise people what will happen to them if they smoke. Now, I'm not a smoker, but I've never been a, a smoking Stalinist who tells people what they must and mustn't do. I think it's important that the information is given to patients and they can make their own choices. I do think, I do think it sort of knocks the image of some of our nice, new, shiny hospitals to see a bus shelter outside with people smoking there. But then... You know, it's better that they're smoking outside than inside the hospital. And I can remember a time not that long ago where you could smoke in your bed if you were a long-term patient in a hospital. So 
there's massive progress and the educational process is happening well with regard to smoking. But people have to live their lives. I've got a pet hate, a real pet hate. I've written about it in my column. I talk about it on radio on a regular basis. And that's cleanliness. And I never cease to be amazed. I mean, I go to a, a gym where people swim and don't shower. And these are middle class people absolutely shocks me. I've been in the toilets in the Royal and other hospitals, Clatterbridge, and seen people come in for a wee and not even think of using a sink or all these amazing uh, stuff now for your hands. And then people will complain about getting bugs and everything. And it really, uh, is there any way around it? Well, well again, Pete, we, there has been a big drive massive public drive to make people aware of the need for cleanliness. And if you go into, and you hinted at it earlier, if you go into any hospital anywhere in the country, but particularly here on Merseyside, every doorway has a dispenser next to it. Every doorway has a sign next to it saying, gel your hands. Okay, you're never going to make everybody wash their hands after they've been to the loo. But if you can get everybody to put that germicidal gel on their hands when they go in near patients or come out from seeing patients, that's going to have and is having a massive effect on infections in hospitals. I'm talking to Dr Mike Scott. Let's, while we're doing this interview, give a really big plug to the Sunday night because you're on before me. I am, on, yes. On City Talk. Tell me what the show's about. Um... It's basically medical infotainment, if, if I can use such a crass <laughs> Only word. Only you! <laughs> but what it is, Pete, is that every week I have a guest who is a medical guest. Most of them are from the Merseyside or the Northwest region, who comes in and we talk about their specialty. But it's not just all, all about that. Uh, I, do, I co-present the show with a professional radio presenter, Rick Horton, and it's a bit like a sort of, it's been described as the top gear of medicine. We talk about what's topical. We get a celebrity to phone up and talk to us about a medical question. And it's being described as quite a fun listen. It's nine o'clock every Sunday night on City Talk. And I'm thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy doing it. Right. Well, I'm going to invite myself onto that show because I want to talk to you about Flomax. So we'll do that. My pleasure. Uh, my question tonight, uh, and I'm talking uh, to Mike, is uh, do you, do you out there take the NHS for granted? And I really do believe you do because you have, uh, only have to go to some of these countries. Mike, you go home, you chill, you relax, you're sitting watching the television, you switch it on, you see Japan, you see the problems in the hospitals, you see Libya, you see the problems in the hospitals. You must get so frustrated as a surgeon. That must be... I, I can't imagine how you feel because you're such a caring person. Um, yeah, um, being a surgeon is a, is a fabulous job in that I, it gives me the ability to change people's lives. And as it happens, I really love my job. Don't get me wrong, Japan has some fabulous medical services, some of the best in the world. And countries, Middle Eastern countries with all their money, fabulous facilities... I would, my heart goes out to the doctors working in those countries where there are national disasters and war-torn areas because the fact is they're working non-stop, non-stop. You know, they're probably getting no sleep um, and I feel for them. But that's exactly what we would do here if there was a disaster locally. But that's what I'm saying. It must be frustrating watching, thinking, 
they must be going through hell because you can relate to them. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it really upsets me to see them, them being overwhelmed with the amount. And I, it just it just upsets me. I just thought I'd throw that in because it's something that really, really upsets me. I'm asking if the NHS uh, is taken for granted. What? Where does our system fit into the world um, categories of, of well, NHS? Well, there isn't really anything quite like the NHS. Um, most, I mean, we to some degree, we do have a two-tier system. We have the private system and we have the NHS system. But, do you know, Pete, the difference between the two in the UK is not massive. Let's just go to another supposedly massively civilised country, the United States of America. If you have no insurance and you have no means of paying for your treatment, you will get treatment. But it will often be in hospitals that are a long, long way from the top private hospitals in that there'll be a big, there could be quite big differences in your treatment. And it's not just in the Western world. You'll see it in, if I dare say it, the third world. I was just talking to a colleague last week about the development of medical services in India. And there's a huge amount of money being put into some fabulous hospitals. And they're fabulous hospitals for the rich people or for the well-off people. But for the people who don't have that kind of income, or no income, then the treatment is, is often very poor. Now, we're fortunate in this country in that, OK, we may not... Um, we may not have the money to pour into the hospitals that some countries do, but the gap between what you get for if you pay for it and the gap of the treatment... Um, with what you don't pay for, the National Health Service, is in actual fact not that big. I'll often get people coming to my NHS clinics and if you give them bad news, which sadly I have to do every now and then, they'll say, well, there's nothing you can do. And I often have to say no. And they say, well, we'll go private. That's not the answer. If you've got cancer in the UK, the place to be is in the NHS. We offer a great cancer service on the NHS and okay ultimately the NHS may well become a cancer and emergency service because that may ultimately be where all the money gets put but the fact is you're going to get top service if you're in a bad accident or if you've got cancer in the UK so I think we should be proud of it I think that it is easy to take it for granted because it's always been there and you can always find examples of people who do do that. But the reality is that when you need it, it's there. And people, I still get thank you letters, Pete. You might have thought that's something of the past. But nowadays, I still get cards. I still get, it doesn't take, you don't need a gift. But if somebody writes me a card, that means a massive amount to me. I have a big packing case full of cards from patients. I never throw them away. And I think... People may take it a bit for granted, but when they have to use it and they really need it, then they know it's there and they, they're proud of it. I'm talking to Dr. Mike Scott. Um, I am very vocal about the violence in A&E's, which makes me very cross. £69 million, I think it cost last year, this country, um, I think, and that was the cost of extra security and staff being off. I, I can't get my head around it. Well, you have to remember, you only have to go into an A&E department, an emergency room, anywhere in the country on a Friday night and to realise that the majority of the people there after midnight 
I've probably been drinking. I'm talking about the patients, not the staff. And the reality is, if you get a lot of drunk people, very drunk, that they've damaged themselves, they're going to be aggressive. And yes, it's, uh, it's hard. And it takes a particular type of nurse and a particular type of doctor to work those night shifts. Um, and I take my hat off to them. Now, we talk about costs. We talk about saving money. Another pet hate of mine, which drives me mad because I've got friends in the medical business, friends who run surgeries, etc., etc. Appointments that are not kept because people haven't got the common decency or courtesy to ring up. It's costing the NHS a vast amount of money, but it's also costing the fact that another patient could have that appointment. Yeah, I agree with that, Pete. Um, I have to say that my NHS clinics are usually so overbooked that it's almost a blessed relief when somebody doesn't come, he said lightheartedly. But here's a little, here's a point. I'm going to bring in the private sector again now. Private patients virtually always turn up to their appointments. <laughs> but recently, um, and I think this is a good thing, don't get me wrong, I do think this is a good thing. It's possible for NHS patients to use private facilities through something we call patient choice and a small number of clinic appointments are made available so that patients can be seen by surgeons and doctors in the private sector but through the NHS contract and I see a few people every week through that system the appointments that are most likely not to be kept with no telephone call or apology are those patients that the NHS patients who just don't bother turning up. And I, and I originally, I just thought it was just me, but I talked to my colleagues and we've all noticed it to some degree. And so I agree with you. I think it's rude. You wouldn't do it to anything else. In, in, and we wouldn't live our lives that way. And it is sad that people think that they can do that to the health service. But it's also costing the health service a lot of money. It, well, on the NHS, yes, effectively it is, because you're right, if... It, because patients bring the money with them effectively, because every time a patient attends for an outpatient appointment or for an operation, the hospital will get paid. So, yes, if people don't turn up and there is a space that isn't filled, yes, the hospitals mm. will lose money. Well, I'll tell you where else it works, so, so you know, so it's not just you. If you give tickets away, I was involved with um, a TV show where they give tickets away, uh, two TV shows. You give the tickets away, people don't turn up. Loads don't turn up because they didn't pay for them. Pay for the tickets, turn up every time, every single time. Now, a lot of people will uh, not agree with this and they'll be sitting at home fuming when I say this, but of course it's common sense if you think about it. The nurse I spoke to, the doctor I spoke to, was not a caring person. Now, these people are human. They have bad days like everybody else. When you're telling somebody they're dying or something's happened, however they say, if you're angry, whatever you say cannot be the right way. You know what I'm trying to say? No, no, and I, and I do, Pete. And um, I think it goes back to the point I made a bit earlier about ability to communicate. And, and we are now teaching our medical students how to communicate which when I was a medical student, it was just assumed you'd pick it up. But we actually teach them now. And I think communication is a big issue. But when you are giving bad news or news that patients don't want, there will always be a varied grief reaction. I've been hit by patients. I remember a young lady who I had to tell had bowel cancer. She's perfectly well now, but she was in her 30s and she hit me. 
I wasn't expecting it, and she hit me. She subsequently apologised a gazillion times. Um, the fact is that, that we as clinicians and nurses have to remember we didn't give the patient the disease, but we have to remember their reaction, that we're turning their lives. I always use the expression, I'm going to turn your brains to scrambled eggs, because as soon as you mention the C word, oh. you know damn well that that patient is not going to hear another word you say. It's important that they're surrounded by their family and you talk to everybody. <coughs> But, yeah, it, communication is the big issue, I think. Great that you mentioned bowel cancer. I just <laughs> did my home kit. Oh, well done. <laughs> and got my answer the other day, and I haven't got it, which was quite scary opening the letter. And I'm with you on that, Pete. And But do you know what? Do you know how many people never return that? More than half the people Stupid said people. That. And I had so much fun filling it in. Yeah. <laughs> I really did. I tra treated it as an exercise. Well, well, for people who don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about this kit that is sent to people at home to check. Um, you have to send, I think, three samples yep. of poop off just to check there's no blood in it, essentially. Now, if there is blood in it, it doesn't mean you've got bowel cancer, but it means you get another test to make sure you don't have either bowel cancer or a polyp. Because there's no doubt, Pete, if you catch cancer early, you stand far more chance of curing it. And we're seeing now bowel cancers that we wouldn't have picked up for a couple of years, maybe, much earlier. And that's going to have an impact. And so... The people who are out there not returning these things are mad. Absolutely mad. Absolutely. Right, I'm not going to take much more of your time. A, a, a huge question now to finish off with. Uh, you're a doctor. You look around. You see it. Do you see a lot of waste? Do you get angry? Um, not as much as perhaps there used to be. I think that because of the financial times we live in, the way the the health service is streamlining itself and i do believe that we are better now than we were because everything has to be accounted for whereas in years gone by it wasn't like that you know so instead of giving patients oh, i don't know let's pick an example dressings for their wound you might give them a whole box full and they might use two or three whereas now we'd say to people right you shouldn't need more than this, but if you do, come back and get some more or go and see your doctor. And so, I, and that's just a small example. But I. But that's money. Yes, but that's that's the problem, Pete. That for a long time, because the NHS was just there, people didn't think it was about money. Now you might say, "Oh, it's about health. It's not about money." But it's got to be a balance. Health shouldn't be compromised for money, but on the other hand, there shouldn't be any wastage that means that money that should be used for looking after health is wasted. And that's a big issue, I think. When's the show on? Sunday nights. And what's it about? Medicine. So, final question. Do we take the NHS for granted? I think we do a little bit, but I think once we've used it, we then appreciate it. Dr. Mike Scott, thank you very much. My pleasure. The best of Pete Price on Radio City 96.7.